Because once in a while we'll be hanging out and I'll be like excitedly telling Gabe a story and she'll be like, shh, because in my head, no, out loud, because I'm like 900 decibels when I talk and I'm just like, dude, we're both loud. We're both like loud and whatever. No, I'm loud. You're not loud. I, I've always thought it. We've been friends for 15 years and I've always been like, what's she talking about? (laughs) I know we did have to have a talk about how you enter my house. (laughs) Yeah. Because she'd come over and it would just be like, like, and I'd be like, oh my God. I was like, can you just like come in normal? And like, can we just, I can't, the energy, it's anxiety. Did did I start doing that? Because I completely forgot about that conversation. No, you don't do it. You don't do it. Oh, I don't. Okay, great. And so you come in fine now, but there's just like, it's like a Pavlov's dog thing. I'm like, see Tasha. I'm like, oh wait, she doesn't do that. No, oh my God. I don't. There's, I should have found a better way to talk about that. I, it was, we were just bantering, right? Oh, <laughs> it's fine. I understand who I am. I get it. Tasha's smiling really hard, but there's tears streaming down her cheeks. I don't know. I was like not super into this episode. I was just like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I definitely called it at some point. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it did have a lot of twists in it. Like I didn't not like that. I don't know why. There was a lot of twists. But what do you expect from like a thing about gymnastics? Get it? (laughs) Yeah, dad, I get it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Welcome to SVU pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season two, episode nine, Pixies. And we're just going to get into it because whatever. All right, two sanitation workers are doing their rounds collecting trash. They're having a pretty cliche conversation. One of them is saying that he can't take the other one shift because his mother-in-law is coming into town. And the one goes, oh, perfect excuse. And then the first one's like, I like my mother-in-law. It's the wife I can't stand. And I'm like, you are such an asshole. Yeah. But it's that SVU thing where it's like, these guys are about to find a dead body. Yeah. They're also in the, they're in the meatpacking district, too. There's like a bunch of meat outside. They were like, this is the meatpacking district. Everybody else side of New York. <laughs> These are trash bins full of sides of beef. And then there's also in the background behind the giant bins of meat, sex workers hanging out. Yeah. So I don't know what they're trying to imply about the area. But now I think that the meatpacking district, a lot of those um, warehouses and stuff now are like turned into super fancy industrial apartments. Yeah. And, and they're like really yeah. expensive. Yeah. According to an episode of Sex in the City I saw. <laughs> so these guys are trying to shake loose this dumpster. They're collecting trash. It comes loose. They look behind it and see the body of a woman. There's blood all around her head. And one of them goes, oh, man. Oh, man. So now she's a crime scene. Mm-hmm. Benson Stabler and Warner are there to assess the situation. Now, she's the Emmy, but I think the name Coroner Warner sounds really cute. So Coroner I just started calling her Corner Warner. Corner Warner. Yeah. Yeah. So this Vic has been dead maybe 12 hours, blunt force trauma to the head. She's got a fresh cut on her arm, but that's post-mortem. She's got no obvious track marks, but it's not ruled out until Coroner Warner can get a closer whoop. (laughs) 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 Until she can get a closer whoop. (laughs) Blunt force trauma. (laughs) Until she can get a closer look. The coroner guesses her to be between 12 and 15, and they speculate whether she's a sex worker. What? Because we're like, <laughs> are you cueing co- it all with my owls? Like, yeah. <laughs> get a course of work at the Vic. The meatpacking district was a <laughs> scary place. 
didn't go out for Giuliani. <laughs> so they speculate whether she's a sex worker. And I made a note that they are calling sex workers pros this season, which you and I differ on why we think they call them pros. I think they call them pros because they're sexually professional. I think they're called pros because it's like a shorthand for prostitute. P-R-O-S. Yeah. We'll Google that later. Right. Or you guys can. I don't care. I do care. I'm right. I do because I'm like, oh, is there a difference in opinion? And I have the possibility of being right. I'm going to look into it. You're wrong. I'm not because then they the last episode they called somebody. They're like, oh, you think she's a pro? Yeah. They didn't say a pros. Yeah, but P-R-O. It's pro. Like, but prostitute. I'm Googling it right now. I'm Googling it right now. I'm doing my own Googling. How do you even Google that? Uh, Sex worker name... Pro, why? Question <laughs> <laughs> mark. her name. We should start calling them courtesans. Anyway, so. Oh my god, this the, is as far as we've gotten. They're talking about this girl. They think that she may have been a sex worker, and they think that it may have been a pimp trying to send a message. And they're not sure if this one belongs to sex crimes or not, but Stabler's, like, mentions it to the corner that if that's at all possible, they want to hand it off to homicide because they are up to their eyeballs in other cases. Benson and Stabler then go in to check in with forensics. They've got hypodermic needles, crack pipes, used condoms, but it also turns out that they found the murder weapon, which looks to be a chunk of brick. Mm-hmm. She had a charm bracelet on and receipts in her pocket. One was for a bottle of water and one was for a pair of shoes that were like 160 bucks. Warner comes back and lets them know that fluids are present and there's bruising on the inner thighs and her butt. So this one belongs to the SVU. So they're at the precinct. There's no ID for the victim. They find out that the blood on the brick is hers. So it wasn't a dump job. Like she wasn't killed somewhere else and thrown in the trash. She was killed there. So someone had to have seen something. Benson and Stabler are going to go follow the receipts. And then Toots correctly guesses that Craig is sending him and Munch door to door. He's like, let me guess. Door to door. So Toots and Munch are banging on a door no one's answering but munch hears the tv and bangs louder and yells police this like scared older woman answers and she, she's just like i don't know anything and tries to shut the door but then munch kind of like pushes it open and she lets them in she says she doesn't want any trouble she likes living there but there's been a ton of quote cheap whores and they won't go away she's like you keep chasing them and they keep coming here she says she keeps to herself and she won't go anywhere in her apartment there's a window that faces directly at the crime scene and they tell her that a young girl was killed and she's like i don't want anything to do with it i don't know anything so then munch speaks to her in greek and says to her if she doesn't speak up he'll curse her every day and she's like not having that she's like not intimidated by the police until munch says that he'll curse her in greek and she's like fine Yeah, I know. So she said at 8.30, she heard some shouting, but she wouldn't go to the window because she just didn't want to see. And then she heard someone yell whore and she turned up the TV and I fucking hate people like this. Like, fuck people like this. Yeah. It's just like... I I mean, I don't know. I don't want to judge like an individual person because like I hear it and I'm just like, you know, maybe she has like a history of abuse and like she's got like trauma that triggers and... Yeah, I mean, can't I handle it, you know, like can't deal. I'm not saying it's okay. Like, I want people to obviously jump to it, you know. Yeah, but no, no, like, you're right. I mean, you, I guess you can't really say what you would do in a situation like that until you're in it. I would love to think that I would be at the fucking window. Here's the window frame, and here's me. Like, I don't want you to see me, but I cannot look away. Hello. <laughs> Nine one one. That literally actually Gwen. is that is Gwen <laughs> Gwendolyn, right? <laughs> oh thank God it's you. Yeah. They're across the street. <laughs> So Benson and Stabler go to the shoe store and they're like trying to chat with a classic SVU too busy to talk worker. This dude's carrying like a ton of shoe boxes. Like he's a white dude in an infomercial. He's like, whoa. 
and it's busy as hell. It's jingle all the way busy in there. So they show him a picture of her dead fucking body. This guy working an afternoon shift at the shoe store. They're yeah. like, you want to see a dead body or do you want to sell Nikes? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, both? He was like, oh, she looks dead. And you're like, yeah, she is. And then he was just like, yeah, I don't know who she is, but he didn't. He's not even like shook by it at all. Right. He's like, these shoes are like really popular. So <laughs> like, do they just do this to people? Just show people pictures of dead bodies? I mean, they're also like hyper desensitized to what that looks like. And they're like, this is fucking more important than your sensitivity. Derek at Journeys. Yeah. Anyways, Spencer answers the phone. The Emmy calls. And she's done cutting up the body. Ooh. Well, that's what they said, so. <laughs> oh my god, I need to stop really quick because somebody messaged us. She's like, I laugh so hard every time I hear you say munch and toots because it sounds like another way to say eat and farts. <laughs> it's so... And now I laugh a little bit every time I type out munch and toots. Wait, is eat and farts a thing? I don't think so. I think she was just hearing like num 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 toots. <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. So now I hear it too. So Corner Warner says the girl had a ton of healed fractures to the ribs, wrists, and fingers, etc. So this could mean like long-term abuse. Mm-hmm. There's too many injuries for clumsy to be an excuse. There's no drugs or alcohol in her system except for diophenylmethane, which is an ingredient found in laxatives. She has a bunch of enamel erosion in her teeth too, which points to bulimia. And also her hands are like super rough and blistered and healed over. The kind that corner warner sees on day laborers yeah she's like i'm not even gonna guess what she does i have no idea right munch and toots are getting out of their car on a busy street and oh munch is telling toots about a madam that he wants to talk to her name is ruth J, and she goes by mama J. she specializes in of age sex workers who pass as very young girls and toots is like why are we outside of this church mm-hmm. up runs this sweet little looking church lady with her pocketbook and her church lady hat and her kitten heels and her fluffy leopard print coat Sunday best Munch whips out his badge and she's like the preacher's about to start and I don't want to miss the choir and Toots is like a whore in church Mm -hmm. she gets her wagon finger out and she schools them on Mary Magdalene she's not putting up with any nonsense Mm -hmm. she is offended that they would think that she would have anything to do with this girl since she only works with adult women who pass for young girls Mm -hmm. she tells them to go talk to William Maxwell on Amsterdam who rents you know videos under the table special videos yeah yeah Uh she says if anybody will know her it's him and then she looks toots up and down and she says i'll pray for you yeah he seems very entertained by that and it's actually pretty cute like when she walks away and he he looks over his shoulder and he's like (laughs) and then him and munch have this like like she's running up the steps and him and munch I took a picture of it because it was cute. You did? Yeah. Of them like looking at each other and laughing. <laughs> yeah. I like love this lady, but I like hate what she does. I but know. I also like I'd rather have if somebody's going to fuck people, I'd rather have it be like them fucking adults. You know what I right. mean? Like, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is muddy, but I, I like don't think there's anything wrong with being a madame. I always thought I would be like good at being like an escort lady. Not. Yeah. I don't want to do any of the escorting. I would just have like a big desk and like some Dobermans or something. But like there'd be there'd be there'd be incentive and I'd they get up make a lot of money and they'd be treated well you would hate every dude that came in though well yeah but i'd be like take their fucking money yeah give me a little bit and go on a vacation so munch and toots go into a video store and this fucking guy they cast him so fucking well it was disgusting this guy looked like creepy jim carrey he's got a shirt on that's not fully buttoned up of course and his 
own pair of Transitions glasses pushed down to the end of his nose. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I was rewatching this morning. This is so, I hate when I explain my jokes, but I have to. I was rewatching this morning, and I was like just clarifying some of my notes. And I had I had typed "thank you very much," and I accidentally read it as "thank you very much," and I was like <gasps> gasped out loud. Imagined you laughing and was so excited to put an end in there. Oh. But anyway, he's got the creepiest ass heavy smoker's affect. Oh. And the detectives show him the photo of the girl. And he oh. rubs his thumb on her mouth. And it's a picture of a dead girl. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Mm. And Toots is like pissed. Toots snatches the photo away from him and goes, you're going to make me smack you. And Maxwell says, she looks familiar, but no, I can't say that I know her. Oh my God, you're so good at that. Of course you are. Thank you. Oh, God. Oh. A customer walks in and Maxwell tries to shoo him away, but the detectives snag him. So he's got a video and it looks like he's trying to return it. Munch says that he wants to rent it. Maxwell tells him it's not available and it's a back and forth until Maxwell tells them that he knows his rights and if they take it without a warrant or probable cause, they can't do anything with it. So Toots tells the customer that if he wants to walk away from them, (laughs) he might want to work with them. Mm -hmm. So the next thing we know, Stabler has Maxwell cuffed and he's walking him into an interrogation room with Benson. Possession of kitty porn is illegal. It's like not just illegal, it's a fucking felony because it's goddamn kitty porn. This is what they do. Right. Ugh. They've got a statement from the customer that he rented it from Maxwell. So Maxwell has already verbally claimed possession of it by spouting his rights to Bunch and Toots. And this is pretty slick because he knows that he has something that they want, which is information about this Vic. He's just like a creepy fucking slime ball. Yeah. And he plays it super well. Like hopefully, but, I know this is early and this guy is gonna like, we're not gonna go into this guy, but I was like, in my mind, in the future, they just raid his whole operation. Yeah. Because he's a fucking yeah. puke pile. So he says he wants to barter because he's like, oh, I've got what you want. So what what are you offering? So they offer to not house him in Gen Pop and also not announce that he's a pedophile if he's willing to identify the girl and give a list of all of his renters. So he seems to agree. And then like the clear piece of shit that he is, he says he doesn't know her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you think I wouldn't remember something that sweet? Oh, my God. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So the detectives leave the room and join Craig and on the other side of the glass. Stabes goes, I need a shower. And they seem a little defeated. Craig says they got a match on their Jane Doe. She's 13. Her name is Carla Bryce and she's from Queens. Mm-hmm. So fucking video store guy is gonna have to give up his list of renters at this point, at least. Yeah, he says that they have him on possession and they're, they're gonna arrest mm-hmm. every, everybody on that list. Right. So I was like, thanks for wrapping that up for me because I was like... I needed to know what was gonna happen with this piece of shit. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are talking to Mrs. Bryce at the Bryce residence. She's a small framed blonde woman with bruises yeah. on her neck and face. Mm-hmm. So they're asking her a bunch of questions about Carla because they don't really know if it's her or not, you know? And they don't want to mm-hmm. just like tell her that her daughter's dead if they don't know. So they're asking about if she wears jewelry, if she participates in sports, and they ask if anybody had hurt Carla. The mom says that her and Carla had moved there to get away from Carla's father, but he found them and Carla was trying to protect her and he hit her and she took off. And she usually comes home and just hasn't for four days for four days and she wants to see carla so they take her to the me office and she's obviously like distraught she's like i can't do this i don't want to see and they're like we're right here they get to the window and coroner warner pulls back the sheet and the lady like all but collapses and then it's not her it's not her daughter which is like thank yeah. god for that lady but also like what the fuck's going on so benson and stabler are in craigan's office they're like glad the lady's kid isn't dead but bum they're not getting anywhere to help the original vic mm-hmm. bunch fucking does a lot of shit this fucking episode 
episode. Munch comes in. He says that they found two sets of fingerprints. There was the victims and a partial to someone else that is not in the system. So her jewelry is a charm bracelet with like four or five fucking teddy bears on it. Five teddy bears studded with real diamonds and it was engraved. Yeah. And it said, all my love, Poppy. I know. Munch, of course, is like, um, I know somebody in the Diamond District. I think he could track it down. And I was like, is it John DeMunch? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was. <laughs> when you sent me the picture of him like at the door of the jeweler, it was before I had seen that part. And I'm like, oh, is he really going to play John DeMunch? <laughs> I like fangirled over fucking John DeMunch from season one, <laughs> from 30 seconds of season one. Like, You don't know John DeMunch? And I'm like, we do. And that was like the worst episode of season one, too. The best character of the worst episode? Probably. Oh, yeah. Also, Munch said that it's not cheap and it looks like it's a custom piece. Yeah, but he knows this because his one of his ex-wives was super into jewelry or some bullshit. Kragen sends Benson and Sabler back to missing persons to keep looking for people that match the victim. So they're in the Diamond District. Munch and Toots are talking to a dude. So this bracelet is super expensive and super well made. And there's a tiny tiny w on one of the bear's arms and it's the maker's signature i want to talk about this guy okay (laughs) so they're talking to munch's jeweler friend and this guy is like he looks like he'd be like a high school german teacher but he's really but he's like warm though yeah i liked him i liked him too and he was like excited to tell them about the jewelry like you could tell that he just took a lot of pride in his work and and his job so like he kept like looking in his little jeweler's loop he'd be like oh this is nice and then he'd look at it some more and he's like oh you see this little initial here he really loved what he did yeah he loved what he did john used to go to he used to like have a bird feeder and like all this different like bird seed for certain types of birds at different time of the year in our backyard and he would go to the i don't remember what it's called but the bird store that i would never go to (laughs) and he'd be there for like a fucking hour i'm like what are you doing you're just going to buy some fucking i don't know what you get pine cones with peanut butter and fucking (laughs) seeds on them and he's like oh no there's this guy steve he's there he was a retired dude but he worked at the bird store and loved talking birds he would squeal if he saw a cardinal outside Like, this guy loved birds. He loved anything bird-related. He loved talking birds. He's my arch nemesis. Yeah. And then your husband just, like, likes to talk to people, period. Oh, my God. Every time he went, he's like, you know, Steve said that now's a really good time of year to get the fucking whatevers for the Blue Jays, but you gotta look out for the crows. I'm like, I don't care. Why are we drawing birds to our house? (laughs) We don't feed the birds anymore. (laughs) They feed us. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Uh. anywho the guy is great he likes birds and diamonds okay yeah so the little w (laughs) is the maker's signature and it stands for wallerstein emil wallerstein one of the best he is semi-retired but works for his son-in-law petri's place sometimes yeah it's the only place that he makes custom pieces for anymore yeah okay now they're at the missing person squad place and they're going there to cast a wider net they're like we'll change the hair color maybe add a couple more years change the weight and there's only one person and her name is chrissy meyerson she's 16 brown hair blue eyes five feet 92 pounds she was reported missing by guardian Ilya korska 
She was last seen leaving gymnastics practice. And Benson's like, oh, that would explain all the cows, tans, and all the bricks. She's underdeveloped for her age, which is oftentimes an issue with eating disorders, but also with gymnasts. Mm -hmm. What I don't get is that competitive gymnasts are like fucking ripped. And they didn't mention it. They're like, oh, maybe she's a pro. And it's like, uh, did you check her quads? You know what I mean? I don't know. Like gymnasts are fucking jacked, right? I mean, it's an athlete. You just think that they would notice like, or that, that the corner would be like she's abnormally like fucking ripped i mean you know? maybe it's not because it's like a lifestyle thing too though people could like to work out i don't know and get paid for sex i guess <laughs> i guess okay so we go to chelsea's gym we go to chelsea gym <laughs> chelsea's athletic club what it's called chelsea chelsea athletic club not chelsea okay. gym gymnastics <laughs> gymnasiums <laughs> chelsea's uh... backflip gymnasiums <laughs> Chelsea's backflip gymnasium. <laughs> There's a dude with a Russian accent who looks like Donnie Wahlberg screaming at this girl about her technique. She complains of ankle pain, but he doesn't give a shit. He's yelling like right in her face about doing better and wanting to be a winner and all that shit that I'm not built for. <laughs> yeah. Then he gives her this like awkward little hug and yells at everyone else in the room that they could learn something from her. Benson and Stabler walk up and engage him. This guy doesn't look at them, ask them who they are, flinch, nothing. He just stands there continuing to watch the girls. In response to them asking about him being kind of harsh, he's like, they know I pushed them so hard because I love them. They don't know what they're capable of. I do. He realizes he's having a conversation with people and he like kind of looks over and he asks them who let them in there. They introduce themselves as detectives and he immediately asks if it's about Christy and they go to his office to talk. So he's looking at the autopsy photo and says, who would do something like this? Okay, so we know that Jane Doe is Christy. He's her guardian and her parents live in Oregon. They're not wealthy and had sacrificed everything for Christy to be able to train with the best, which was him. Mm -hmm. She was living with a family of another girl who also trained with Korska. They asked him if he knew who Poppy was. He says no and that his girls don't have time for boyfriends. Mm -hmm. They are elite athletes. Mm -hmm. The detectives tell him they're going to need the information of every athlete and employee, the family that she stays with, everybody. He says the last time he saw her was the night before last leaving practice. He also says that he assumes that she was just going home, but as Benson and Stabler leave the facility, Benson stops to chat with one of the gymnasts who just sits and verbally beats herself up to Benson and yeah. really gives Benson a look into how disturbing the intense training can be for some of these kids. Yeah. The girl's just like, I'm fucking fat and I suck at gymnastics. And <laughs> Benson's like, you don't have an ounce of fat on you at all. And Benson seems confused and really disturbed. Yeah. And the girl's like, oh, yeah. Well, then why did I get my period? You dumb bitch. Yeah. Benson's like, I don't have You're kids. You're supposed to do that i do you do we all we do that she's like no it's because i'm not training hard enough so munch and toots are at petri's place so the door's locked munch is like annoyingly buzzing to be let into the jewelry store and the owner and security guard are like not acknowledging him right his nose is pressed up against the glass i'm surprised there's not like fog and then he just starts like <laughs> pounding on it with his badge and they finally let him in and it was amazing i took like 50 pictures <laughs> so they're talking to i guess the owner the bracelet is one of their custom pieces the dude estimates it's worth about eight grand munch and toots make him let his customers wait while he looks up who purchased the bracelet yeah he is 
quite fancy and quite put out. I have customers waiting. Yeah, Munch is just like, they can wait. They're not going to put up with shit because they're going to get their information. Right. All right, so Benson and Stabler are talking to the woman who is watching Christy. And P.S., in case you were wondering, Coach Korska called Christy's parents in Oregon and let them know, and they're flying in. Mm -hmm. The lady that watches Christy so that her mom called every Wednesday and Sunday. So she had seen Christy the day before last. She came in around dinner time as usual after practice and then changed into her running clothes to run with another gymnast named Lori. They run every night and they never miss it. They're usually home by 10, but when it got to be midnight, she called Coach Korska. She was worried. And I thought it was weird that like two 16-year-olds can run at night in New York and no one thinks that it's like weird and dangerous. Not my daughter. Yeah. Or son or me or any of my (laughs) friends. (laughs) Yeah. So this woman and her family, they board gymnasts who come in from all over the world to train at that gym. In return, Korska trains their daughter for free and they get a small stipend to help defray any costs. Mm. Uh, Then her little daughter walks in and she's like, Mom, are you okay? Why are you crying? You know, the little girl goes to show Benson Christie's room and Stabler is going to finish up with the mom lady, whoever's like watching Christie. Yeah, the mom seems like a nice lady and the little girl is like six or something. Her name's mm-hmm. Hannah. Yeah. Do we get the mom's name? No. Okay. I don't That's think we I... get anybody's mom's name this no. episode. The lady also says that Christy only dreamed of the Olympics and didn't have a boyfriend that she knew of. She never heard Christy mention anyone named Poppy. And Christy adored, feared, and respected Coach Korska. She was so happy to be accepted into the program that she would have done anything for him. And the lady said that she kind of thought sometimes Christy tried too hard. Ooh. Hannah and Olivia are in Christy's room. Hannah remembers Christy talking to Poppy on the phone and Christy would say she'd meet him after she went running. Hannah also knew that the stuffed bear on her bed was from Poppy. So this is the first time they're getting confirmation of Poppy being a person. Mm-hmm. Elliot and Olivia go to talk to Christy's running partner. Oh, hi, prominent and successful actor Kate Mara. Yes. yes. I couldn't remember her name and I was like, oh my God, it's that one gal, Tasha, you know. What was she in? Well, she was just in A Teacher that we both watched. <gasps> That's it. She was in Pose. Um, oh. <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah. She played Hattie, Stan's wife. Stan, who dated Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. And then, like, she shows up at the ball and she's like, <sighs> she does a really good, intense, brave, but scared face. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she was also in Brokeback Mountain, House of Cards. Like, she's got, like, a huge list of credits. So she's like a kid in this. And she's yeah. playing this gymnast and her name is Laurie. She doesn't have that accent. She says that she waited until 8.30 for Christy to go running, but Christy never showed up. So she just went running without her. They go at 8 o'clock every single night. She fills the detectives in on how strange coach Korska is. They're so dedicated to their runs because they want to be sure that they can make weight. She seems to take gymnastics as seriously as Christy seemed to. Mm-hmm. When asked about Poppy, she insisted she didn't know anything about any kind of boyfriend or guy that Christy may have been seeing. She literally says, that would be grounds for dismissal. Like, she seems mm-hmm. like a good little gymnast soldier. Yeah. She pushes past the detectives and tells them she's got to get to her workout. Yeah. She also doesn't seem like super crazy upset that her running partner every day is dead. Yeah. But she's also like focused on getting to the gym gymnastics gymnastics hyper focused on gymnastics nothing else matters we're at staves's house in a home scene relating to him i thought we were done with these but yeah uh, his stupid dumb bitch daughter marine is like throwing a fit about school i hate her so much she (laughs) okay marine is just like teen storming around until staves asks her what's going on Mm -hmm. it's like oh god (laughs) is everything okay (laughs) (laughs) she's upset about a B plus because it's not going to be good enough to get her into Columbia. He's like, you're 15. Her braces are gone. That's the end of that scene. Yeah. 
That's it. She like literally looks at him and he's like, you're 15, relax. She like looks at him like, shut up, dad. I don't know. It was just sort of like, remember how everything relates to Stabler viewers? <laughs> this does. This is a short one. <laughs> Onto the precinct. Benson and Craig are walking out of the precinct elevator. She's telling them that they found a stockpile of diuretics and laxative in Christie's room. And so like these gals have so much fucking pressure and competition to be absolutely perfect. And this course guy isn't helping with his like fucking weigh-ins. and Yeah. Anything less than a perfect 10 is failure. Yes. So Korska, he is defected from Bulgaria in 88. He coached 13 gold medalists and a ton of silver and bronzes. He's like a multi-million dollar endorsement contract and he has no priors. But they're going to check with Interpol. Yeah. So Munch and Toots walk in and they trace the bracelet to a 40-year-old dude named Kyle Hubert. He's a high-end real estate broker. And this dude is a big contributor to the Coach Korska Athletic Foundation. So we're on to something here. I think we found Poppy. Yeah. Craig goes, well, it looks like we found Poppy. Yeah. I was like, ha! For how many times they say daddy and Poppy in this? I'm like, no. They say daddy? Oh my God. Toot says it like five times when they go into his like princess oh, fucking Oh yeah, apartment. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Benson and Stabler are at Kyle Hubert's fancy ass office. He's got a five foot blown up portrait of Christy doing her floor routine hanging on the wall. It's like obnoxiously large. He also has a fucking five foot tall goatee. <laughs> <laughs> and of course his name is fucking Kyle. I was like, yeah. fuck you. Fuck you. You did it. Ugh. Fuck you, Kyle. There's other photos. There's like eight by tens of other gymnasts on the wall, too. But you know how big an eight by ten is? It looks like a fucking thumbnail next to this portrait of fucking Christy. Yeah. It's a neon sign that says, I have sex with this girl. Yeah, it, pretty much. Okay. We're all on the same page here. This fucking portrait is the size of a movie theater screen and it's hanging on the wall of his office. Remember? Yeah, remember in the episode where she had the like huge blow up of the dudes like uh, closure part two. Yeah. 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 It was that four times bigger. Mm -hmm. So Anyways. we all pretend like we don't see it. He says that he's been a donor for 10 years and he's like, oh, I'm just so helpful and I'm not creepy at all. And Gabe's like, you've got that goatee, though. And he's <laughs> like, oh, that's right. <laughs> they bring up the gifts and scholarships and ask him about this charm bracelet that Christy had. Benson's also like, so how long have you been like super into girls gymnastics? <laughs> like, <laughs> And he's like, 10 years. I've been donating yeah. at least. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he oh, my God. It's like his interest in young girls' gymnastics is not bizarre. Mm -hmm. We all love watching young girls gymnastics in the Olympics, you know, but like we do, we don't. I loved gymnastics and pairs figure skating, figure skating. Sure. Yeah. But gymnastics, I was always I'm always like waiting for them to fucking land and like snap a leg and, and, and see it. Oh, my God. Also, they're like little outfits are so tight. and It looks like it hurts. The gymnasts. Yeah. Oh, I you know what I can't stand is the feeling of chalk. So like yeah. watching them just like chalk the fuck up all over their bodies. It, it makes my whole body like vibrate with uncomfortability. So he says that he bought the bracelet for Christy and the quote, all my love Poppy inscription was because it was her nickname for him. She said, I reminded her of her father and Stabler's oh. face was like gross. Oh my God. Yeah. He says he gave Christy the bracelet on Tuesday morning and was working late at his office till 10 or 11. They just continue to ask him questions to like paint him in a corner and he asks what they're insinuating and Benson steps right to him and she goes that you were sleeping with her and he goes i was not <laughs> quit it i laughed so hard at the way he said it. 
<laughs> they're like, let's do a blood test and clear this up because there's fucking semen. And he's like, um, no, you can talk to my lawyer like every other guilty fucking person. Right. So outside, Benson's like, ugh, we need a court order now. And Stabler suggests that they head back to the gym to see if any of the girls saw Christy with Hobby Kyle. Mm-hmm. Oh, so they're back at the gym and they're talking to fucking Coach Korska about Kyle Poppy McDouche. Coach is like, for, he, he like doesn't even give them a fucking second, but whatever. Nobody does in New York City. He's talking about how well-respected the guy is and in the gymnastics community. And they're like, yeah, we think Kyle's been having a relationship with the girls and gave Christy a super expensive bracelet. And he's like, yeah, for her hard work. And if it wasn't for Kyle, the gym wouldn't even exist. So obviously, Chorus is going to cover it for the guy, you know? He acts like it's not even possible to because... Yeah, he's like, my girls don't have time. It's like, impossible. My girls don't have relationships. So Stabler's talking to a gymnast and she's obviously like kind of freaked out because like the coach is like staring at her kind of. But she also had this terrible voice. <laughs> this gymnast. She's like, I don't know. So she hates the way Kyle is always staring at them. She says sometimes he gives them gifts. And that one time he gave her body lotion and told her to think of him when she used it. Ugh. Ugh. And then Benson is talking to another gal on the balance beam. Her average day is she gets up at 4.30, gets there at 5, leaves by 9, then goes to school till 1.30. Then after school, there's practice till 9 or 10 p.m. Then do homework. And Benson's like, when do you eat? She's like, well, I only have breakfast and some fruit all day. She thinks she has to lose weight to make the cut. Like, oh my fucking God. She says that Kyle hangs around and watches them practice, pays for her room and board. And she's like, he he does one thing that I really hate. He calls her olive oil, which I didn't get that. She's running into kind of a dead end with like, what's the thing that you really hate? And it's like, oh, he calls her olive oil. Okay. Yeah. Stabler's talking to Lori, Christy's running buddy. And she's like, oh my gosh, I have this fucking rad dismount that I'm working on. And he's like, sure, great. You didn't tell us about Christy's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And then tells her that it was Kyle Hubert. And she's like, why would she tell me? I would have to report it to coach. But that makes sense because Kyle was always giving her the best presents. I guess she liked the attention. She says that Kyle creeped her out. Yeah. And at this point, I wrote, I'm beginning to wonder if it's her running buddy and she was jealous of her. Yeah, that's kind of a cold hearted bitch thing to say. I guess she liked the attention. Your friend is dead. Yeah. She also said that she got a bracelet, but Kyle gave it to her the night she was murdered and they didn't see each other that night, right? They didn't go running. So I was like, how do you know she had a bracelet? Yeah. The timeline is weird, though, because later it says this happened on Monday night. Like she died on Monday night, but then he had told the cops that he had given her the bracelet on Tuesday morning. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. I just think that that was like a glass of orange juice. So I don't think it was... Yeah. Well, but then the, then the vendor was like, oh, I saw him on Monday because I have off on Tuesdays. Yeah, and that's Monday the part. Was, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what? Okay. And so I was like, okay, so it was Monday night. It it's a glass weird. of orange juice. It's not like yeah. a like a real thing that we're supposed to be thinking about. It's like, whoops, yeah. we messed up and mm. don't worry about it. So Benson and Stabler are in Craigan's office. They're giving him the rundown about Kyle, how he has an alibi but doesn't have anyone to confirm it. And he also gives gifts to all the, the girls. So it's kind of like, what the fuck, you know? What do we have on him? And then Munch and Toots walk in. They're like, well, we got financial statements. Kyle, a.k.a. Daddy Rich Bucks is what Munch fucking <laughs> dumbly calls him. <laughs> He has Daddy a, Rich Bucks. Yeah. You had all that time to get over here. And that's what you came up with? I wonder if he couldn't say Daddy Warbucks because uh, some sort of Annie copyright. I don't know. I know, but it didn't even like... It doesn't sound like, good. It was even dumb. if it he is a Daddy better. Warbucks kind of like nod, it doesn't even make sense. No. Yeah. So apparently this dude has a quote, love nest. He has two mortgages, one for a place uptown and then another a few blocks from the slaughterhouse, the meatpacking district where they found Christy. Mm-mm. Benson and Stabler are on the street showing pics of Kyle and Christy to a dude who has my father-in-law's face and Ray Romano's eggy Aww. throat voice. 
<laughs> and he's like, yeah, they were here around eight. She ran out of the building crying. He ran out after her saying he'd never let her go. Told me she was his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was good. <laughs> Munch and Toots peel up with a search warrant. Got it. Yeah, he's like, we got it. And the music, this is like my favorite, because this is like when the, when the music gets all swelly, and then you're like, okay, we're actually on to something now. Mm-hmm. So the detectives go up to the creepiest apartment of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's legit set up like a little girl's bedroom, fucking unicorns, stuffed animals, a goddamn trundle bed. There were piles of VHS tapes. And like, ew, we all know what's on those, right? Yeah. It was like a little fairy princess bedroom. It was fucking... Yeah. But it's like, fuck. you're dealing with fucking teenagers. Like, where's the corn poster? <laughs> you know what I <laughs> right. mean? Like, it's... It's like a like a bedroom for fucking uh, six year olds. Six year olds, yeah. You know? I don't know what's I going on. I didn't get I it, know. but anyway, this guy's way off. Fuck. Yeah, Two- where's the corn? <laughs> where's, the- where's my slipknot cheats? <laughs> I was tr- <laughs> I was trying to come up with something better because I'm like I don't need the people that know me giving me shit about that. <laughs> Should we talk about it? I was like fucking twelve. I had a corn tattoo. Backwards are and everything sticking. I got it lasered off. It's it's always there. You know that. Anyway, Toots goes over to the bed, which is like a child's bed. Stabler pulled the sheets back and was like, and like like shook his hand, like he touched something. Toots goes, looks like daddy forgot to change the sheets. And I'm like, gross, Toots. Benson's sitting across from Kyle and tells him that there was enough fucking- <laughs> Did you fucking... say gross, Toots? Because that's what I had in my notes, too. I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> all caps. Gross, Toots. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Benson's sitting across from Kyle and tells him there was enough fucking jazz on the sheets to match the <laughs> semen found on Christy. Okay. I'm- <laughs> I'm not laughing at the jizz being on a dead person. I'm laughing at you calling it jazz. <laughs> They've got a pile of evidence and have caught him in every fucking lie. And he just goes, why would I kill her? I worshipped her. Um, because she broke up with you and you didn't like the rejection and didn't want to be exposed. They've got 12 hours of footage. Ew. Mm-hmm. He says the relationship was consensual, but Benson reminds him that Christy was 16, so that's statutory. Either way, you're going to jail. The question is, for how long? Mm-hmm. Stabes said that. Oh, this fucking dude starts laughing. Yeah. Ugh. He goes, is that what this is about? I could have saved you a lot of trouble. And I'm like, um, okay, but you lied a ton, so you kind of made us have to figure shit out and find your gross baby apartment and make Munch <laughs> watch all of those videos because they don't say it, but we know that Munch got stuck with watching all the videos, right? Yeah, it's like last time. Kyle tells them Christy is actually 19 and they kept their relationship a secret to protect the program. And I'm like, you're still a predator, predator. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yuck. Mm-hmm. I hate all this. What? Oh, squad room. They got a copy of her birth certificate. She actually was 19. Mm-hmm. She lied about being 19 because by the time she got good enough for Coach Korska, she was too old. So she shaved off a couple of years. Korska didn't like to work with older girls. Yeah. Korska didn't know that she was 19. Mm-hmm. And Kyle noticed that she was around the local events a lot longer than she claimed and like took advantage of that. 
right. like how she looked and like that she was also legal. Oh, God, fuck. So Benson's like, these girls are starved for love and food. They stop eating. They don't get their period. They have no estrogen, no growth emotionally or sexually. And fucking dudes like prey on that shit. Those kinds of dudes. Well, they wonder if Korska was involved and they want to look into him a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Toots pops his head in. There's a fingerprint that isn't Hubert's or Christie's on the bracelet. Right. Then Munch pops in. Christie's parents are here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, can we circle back to Carla? I'm worried about her mom. I know. They don't <sighs> talk about her for the rest of the episode. I was just like, thinking I get about it, that, that today. it's just like a little red herring for a second. Is she okay? Don't get me invested in another family. Yeah, I mean, also, Craig and Sense toots to go look up Korska's prints through immigration, because they're like, maybe it's his. Mm-hmm. Christy's parents are talking to Craig, and they're both upset, but Mom seems more invested in the gymnastics part of it than Dad. Mom says Christy didn't lie about her age, but didn't discuss it, because Korska doesn't like working with older girls. She had to have lied about it, okay? Like, they're gonna be like, how old are you? You know, they're not just gonna, like, show up and not speak of, like, her birth date. But anyway, Craig and asked if she dated and her mom seemed insulted and said she was a virgin and dad sheepishly goes she was seeing someone mm-hmm. oh christy confided in dad mm-hmm. mom turns to dad and goes she never told me that and dad goes she knew you'd never understand and to craig and mom goes i did it all for her and then dad like under his breath mumbles you did it for yourself yeah there's a thing there because the mom like a nobody asked her what she was doing she just blurted mm-hmm. that like she was con- trying to convince herself you know yeah there's a lot going going on in their marriage, but I will be the first to put my money on them never divorcing. Yeah. They're Irish. They seem like the type of couple who's just going to be miserable forever. Which is horrible to say because their daughter died. But, like, that's not what I mean. Like, I meant, like, before. Yeah. This is, like, one of those dance mom things, right? Where it's, like, or pageant mom things where it's, like, they didn't make it. So they, like, force their, not force, but, like, really push. They don't really say that. But I did. I was waiting for him to be, like, you didn't make it in your gymnastics career, Carol. Yeah. So dad tells Craig and Christy said she was in love, but was super scared Korska would find out. Mm-hmm. Other side of the glass, Stabler has the results of the fingerprints from the bracelet. It's Korska's. What? Back to the gym. They mm-hmm. find Lori verbally berating herself over not perfectly executing her gymnastics moves. So she tells the detectives that Korska's at dinner, but basically to fuck off because she's practicing. Mm-hmm. But they get her to talk anyway. She gets kind of welled up, but not in like an upset way, in like an I'm so pissed I could cry way. Yeah. She tells him that Korska promised Lori a spot on the team if she spied on Christy he, because he couldn't trust Christy. She told Korska on the same day that Christy died that Christy was sleeping with Hubert and that he had given her a charm bracelet. She then said Korska ran off to find Christy. Mm. She didn't tell them that before because she wanted that spot, but Coach had just called her fatso and said that she might not make trials. So he was just like getting her to do shit for him yeah without the intention of keeping up his end of the deal mm-hmm. just then Korska shows up they have to pry his story out of him nobody tells the truth until yeah. they're coerced to tell the truth throughout this whole fucking episode I know he says that he went down to Hubert's apartment to get Christy he had her outside and grabbed her wrist and said that she had to break it off or she was finished in gymnastics she went back in to break up with Kyle and then came out crying Korska said that he'd give her one more chance and quote took that little whore for her run. He dropped her off at 8.15 to go running. 
Benson was like, this girl's fucking hysterical and you made her run. And he's like, I don't get paid to teach weakness. I was like, Mm -hmm. blink, blink, blink. Yeah. Back at the precinct, the chalkboard is out and we are speculating. So the slaughterhouse where Christy was found is off the beaten path of the promenade where Christy runs every night. They need to figure out how she ended up going off her route. Well, here comes Munch. He went to the promenade that morning and found out that a vendor parks his cart right where she would have turned off her route. And everybody's like, look at you, Munch. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, I went out this morning like by myself and... People there say that the vendor parks there at noon and stays until late. So they need to hit up that dude. Yeah. Hold on. Benson and Stable. What? Oh, wait. Go ahead. Benson and Stabler are on the promenade talking to the vendor. Oh, wait. No. This is the thing. Kragen says, we have to go. Let's go talk on that Munch's hunch. And then I said, we got a Munch hunch. (laughs) (laughs) You get it? You get it? We got a hunch, a munch hunch. I don't want to be friends anymore. Come on. It was so good. And I wish I had done it so that we could, I could have had it flow with what was going on because it was so good. This is, this is a laugh track thing. (laughs) We got a munch hunch. Munch hunch. It's a munch hunch. We got to get the munch hunch and go to the vendor. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an SVU pod the musical. It's good. So Benson and Stabler are on the promenade talking to the vendor, and he has mostly bottled water in his cart to let us know that this is where the bottle of water receipt came from. I also really like him in his like fingerless gloves. You do? Because I hate him in his fingerless gloves because Ugh. he is just as creepy as all the other dudes because he's like, oh, yeah, she was really pretty sweet little redhead. I'm like, these girls were children. I know. Well, here's the thing. I wrote that. I love him in his fingerless gloves. And then he talked. <laughs> and oh, then it was, okay. I was like, oh, OK, never okay. mind. <laughs> so they show him a photo array and he IDs Christy and Lori as the runners. He says they always stop to get water from him. They usually stay on the jogging path afterward. But that night they veered off just up the street after they stopped at his cart. Oh, shit. It's night. Benson and Stabler are on the street in the meatpacking district. They see Lori running toward them. Stabler goes, 8.30, just like clockwork. They snag her and and tell her they need to talk. She's like, you're in my way. And Olivia's like, kind of like Christy was in your way. Whoa. Ooh, you just got sassed, honey. Anyways, we're in the interrogation room. Christy's fucking irritated. She's like, I need to go trade. I gotta make weight. And we're like, we all know. You said Christy. Ooh, I did write Christy. Ooh. But <laughs> I hated the way I said that. Ooh, I did say Christy. <laughs> <laughs> Your ooh was like mouthed like an old timey cartoon. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> Oh, my back. (laughs) So, Lori. Lori is irritated. She needs to go train. She needs to make weight. Yada, yada, yada. But now they finally have a full timeline from all these damn liars that they can put together. Yeah. So, Stabler's like, how did you know about Christy's bracelet? I thought you said you didn't see her that night. And then she's like, I'm not sorry Christy's dead. You want me to be sorry, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. She says Christy got all the attention and had everything so easy. Christy was pretty and I'm not. And it's like, um, you're really pretty. But yeah, whatever. Like, none um, of you have any self-esteem from right. the shit you're doing. Lori says she does it all on her own. She says the only person who loves her is her coach. And he lied to her. He promised her she could have Christy's spot if Lori told him about Kyle. But coach was going to let Christy stay on the team if she broke up with Kyle. So Lori didn't get her spot. So she's like fucking pissed. And she has this like really good little like quiver lip 
actress thing. Yeah. She says that they started to argue about how easy Christy had it and Christy started to run away. So she followed her and she said the brick just flew out of her hand and she didn't mean to hit her. And her face was like crying, crying. And then she stopped like dead stops and her face stops quivering and she gets kind of angry and she's like, she made me do it. And I was like, fuck, she's like a good little actress, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it's bad that this was the thing that pissed me off the most in the episode. But I mean, like the pedophilia was bad, but (laughs) I hate when someone refuses to take ownership of their actions. Like she's annoying and a murderer. Right. So the back of the gym, Benson and Stabler are talking to Korska. He's not skipping a beat, by the way. He's still yelling at girls while they're talking to him. And Uh he tells them that Lori confessed to killing Christy. And he was like, Lori's an imbecile. And they're like, well, she wants to see you. And he's like, "Mm, soon after nationals. He's not even like, he didn't face them. He didn't look surprised. He doesn't care. Like, that's all. Like, he doesn't love her. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was sad. Exec produced D. Willie. I know. D-Town. All right. So Ilya Korska, the coach in this episode, is based on real-life Olympic gymnastics coach Bella Caroli. They basically just took his Wikipedia page and made him this character. Like, that's Bella Caroli. He started in Romania. He trained Nadia Comaneci. Uh, she was the first to get a perfect score in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. He and his wife defected from Romania in 1981, and he brought his intensity to the U.S. and started implementing his training techniques to make Olympic champions over here. This entailed starting training young as shit. Before Bella, Olympian gymnasts were much older than they are now. He was the one who started the intensity at like six years old. Bella was the coach along with his wife, Marta. Girls that he coached made up basically the entire Olympic team, like every single time. National teams, Olympic teams, any top team was mostly made up of girls that he trained or his protégés trained. He was well known to be controlling, verbally abusive, fucking intense, but it got the gold. He and his wife started intensive monthly camps at Coroli Ranch in Texas, again, with like super brutal training. So I watched this documentary that just came out on Hulu. If you have haven't watched it, you should watch it. It's called At the Heart of Gold. No. It includes Caroli in it, but it was mainly about someone who he employed, Dr. Larry Nasser. What? Okay. I won't be shitty? watching. I don't like gymnastics stuff. I don't like it at all. Okay. It's, uh, I, I'm just terrified of seeing them break something. Oh, well, that's not what it's about. Dr. Nasser spent over 20 years working for USA Gymnastics. He worked at Michigan State University as well, and one of the requirements was outreach. So on top of that, he worked with high school athletes and other programs. He was seen as the guardian angel of the gymnast at Caroli Ranch. So like all these trainers are being trained by Caroli, and this is what training had become. So everybody's like mean and super intense and Dr. Nasser was nice. All the kids called him Larry. He would sneak them candy when they were insanely restricted and he would let them use his phone because they were completely cut off from their parents when they were at the ranch. Everyone liked him. He was a friend, a confidant. He was supportive. He was also a serial child abuser and used his position as the grooming grounds to sexually assault hundreds of young girls. Oh my fucking God. These girls would be getting therapy from him every single day and he would do what he would call a vaginal adjustment, ungloved, unlubricated. He would tell girls that there was a pressure point in the vagina and he would use it for 
back aches, if your foot hurt. It was like his universal trigger point. Mm -hmm. But that's how he had to access it, is what he said. So the level of his grooming skills was crazy. Parents would be in the room and he would be manipulating these girls' bodies like, like a normal session. Then he would just continue talking as if normal and do this quote unquote treatment. The girls didn't know it was out of sight of the parents. Parents couldn't see him doing this. He just continued to talk and work on their bodies, but the girls knew he was doing it. So it set up the idea that it must be okay since the parents were in the room and he seemed so nonchalant about it. Pete grooming, right? Jesus fucking Christ. A lot of the girls described this treatment becoming more intense when the girls got a little older and they started coming to get their treatments alone. A lot of girls also reported getting treatments in his basement at his house. And in these situations, they were fully alone. He would get erections, make grunting noises. Part of their treatment was actually medical. Like if you had like a two-hour treatment, like an hour of it would be actual therapy. So they were thinking this other part of it was also helping because they would feel better, you know, like physically would feel better with their injuries and stuff. The procedure happened every time. The procedure? You mean the rape? Yeah, it's what I mean, but it's what he called it. I'm I'm just calling it what he called it. So John Gettart is this, just another super intense trainer. He was the head coach and owner of Twistars and was the 2012 Olympic team coach. Girls referred to him as the devil. He would belittle you. He would insult you. These girls would try and try and try to get his approval. And when they got it, it meant everything. So like he would just give these little tiny nuggets, but then was just like brutal the rest of the time. Yeah. Dr. Nasser worked there as well. And they would go to see Larry after the abusive training. And he was the nice guy who would listen. I mean, they all just adored him. He was the savior for everyone. And the reason these intense coaches kept him, because he wasn't like this amazing, incredible doctor. Like he wasn't like, oh, he's the best in his field and blah, blah, blah. He got some of that reputation, but it was really because he was working for these elite, elite athletes. But the real reason these intense coaches were keeping him was because Larry also told the adults what they wanted to hear. He would Mm -hmm. cut girls' recoveries short to get them back on the mat. And that's exactly what the coaches wanted. Girls are trained early on that you don't say shit. You don't talk about your pain. Nothing. Former gymnast Lindsay Gamet said, there's a whole institution of people who knew through these years what was going on and it could have been stopped. Coach Kathy Clagus at Spartan Youth Gymnastics Club was told about the treatment in 1997. Okay. Former gymnast Larissa Boyce told her in her office one-on-one, the coach straight out didn't believe her. The coach had other teammates come in and asked them about their experience with Larry in front of Larissa. Like, hey, she's saying this is happening? Is this happening to you? And Mm -hmm. every one of them said no. There was only one other girl who admitted it. Larissa was told by Clagus that she was mistaken, but she could file it with terrible consequences for Larry and for Larissa. So she Mm -hmm. really manipulated her into not saying anything. Larissa was a young teen not wanting anyone to get in trouble. So she left her office and shut her mouth. But Clagus told Nasser. So Mm -hmm. Nasser brought it up at Larissa's next appointment. He was 
was like, so I talked to Kathy. This girl was just like, oh my God. And he was just so understanding. He's like, I just want to reassure you that this is a medically necessary procedure. I mean, to where she's this young girl. She's apologizing profusely to this guy who was sexually abusing her and he forgave her. And then she continued to be abused by him for four more years. Oh my God. Um, And it turns out that a lot of MSU employees were told. Rebecca Davis O'Brien is a journalist for the Wall Street Journal. And she said, quote, these women have to perform so that USA Gymnastics brings in sponsorships so that US Olympic Committee can be proud of them and trot them out every four years. It's a money machine. And at the heart of it are teenage girls and their bodies. It seems like an arrangement that's bound to create abuse. Mm. In 2014, Amanda Thomas Shaw filed a Title IX report of sexual assault. Quote, he started to insert his fingers into me and I stood up, I pushed him off me, and he ran to the corner of the room to hide his erection. Oh my God. An investigation was done, but Larry Nasser was able to choose four experts to corroborate his procedures. Amanda said, he said it was medical. I said it was sexual assault. The report said that she misunderstood and they left out the fact that she pushed him off. They also left out that he had had an erection. Amanda was 24 at the time. So she knew, like she wasn't a young girl that was like confused by it. Like she fucking knew that it was sexual assault. Turns out Dean Strample, Larry, and the OIE were the only ones who knew there was one more page in the final report. So, like, the final report is public. Oh, everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. Whatever. This final page said that there needed to be a chaperone, nurse, or whatever present, that he needed to be wearing gloves and get informed consent prior to, quote, treatment. Not like that matters because he fucking does it in front of parents and shit. But no, but it was supposed to be like, we need to have these things in place. Girls weren't supposed to be one-on-one alone in a room with him, you know? Yeah. So these restrictions were never followed up on. No one else was ever informed that these were guidelines that were put in place to protect the girls. USA Gymnastics knew about Nasser at least since 2015, okay? So in spring of 2015, Maggie Nichols was on the U.S. national team. She was at Caroli Ranch with Allie Raceman. Do you remember her? She was like a gold medalist no. Allie Raceman. Anyway. What's this documentary called? I think you didn't want to watch it. Oh, I thought it was going to be about gymnastics, not like... I'm not going to do a chaser about gymnastics. This is fucking SVU pod, bitch. <laughs> documentary. The documentary is on Hulu, and it's called At the Heart of Gold. It, like, just came out. I feel like I kind of remember stuff about this, and, like, in court, like, every person he abused had the opportunity to talk to... Say what a piece of shit he was, right? Bitch. Right? Yeah. And it was, like, a long... Yeah. So yeah, so Maggie is at Caroli Ranch with Allie Raceman. They're like out on the mat. Maggie asks Allie about this technique at practice. She's like, I don't think it's helping. And Maggie's coach overheard and was like, what the fuck? Finally, there was an adult who heard it and was like, this isn't okay. Reports it to USA Gymnastics. The president of USA Gymnastics, Steve Penny, did nothing with it for like a good few weeks. He told Maggie's mom not to do anything. Okay. Five weeks later, later, he ended up having to go to the FBI. Nasser was doing this every day. So a handful of weeks is a lot of fucking victims. 
Yeah. Right. Internal Affairs told Penny that he had to go to the FBI, by the way, because mm-hmm. they're like, there's no way around it. Yeah. That's the only reason he went. Penny told Scott Blackman, chief executive of the U.S. Olympic Committee, the way they handled it, Nasser left under his own terms. There was no investigation done by the FBI. Nobody told Michigan State, so Nasser went back to practice there for over a year. Are you kidding me? No. FBI didn't do any... I don't understand. Okay. Do, do does, does everybody just hate young girls and women? We don't matter. We don't matter. That's right. So, yeah. So, he goes back to practice at Michigan State. I have a hunch, munch hunch that nothing... To, all right. Go ahead. See how that didn't work? Do you see how that didn't work out that time? Well, because I messed up the hunch and the munch part. <laughs> That's why. Multiple organizations, including the FBI, had some level of information regarding this serial sexual abuser, and nothing was being done. Mm-hmm. Then, in 2016, Rachel Dunhollander came forward. She was an advanced-level gymnast. In 2000, she was 15 years old. But the difference in the way she did it is that she openly named him publicly. Yeah. So she's, like, 30 at this point and has gotten therapy and, like, all of this stuff to deal with this. And now she's like, fuck this. This needs to come out. Yeah. Right off the bat, initially, a lot of gymnasts defended him. They were groomed so hard by him that they came to his defense. Like, this was happening, but they're like, oh, my God, this is a misunderstanding. This is awful. He's, like, the best person ever. But it wasn't until they got the details of the open survivors experiences that light bulbs started happening for them mainly mm. because his response to these accusations were i never went internal in these treatments which if it was a legitimate procedure why would he lie about that right mm-hmm. and so that started to turn lights on for a couple people because they're like yeah but you did though yeah yeah and they yeah. had never heard his response to the authorities like this was the first time they were hearing it like as a as a statement out of his mouth they were hearing what he, they weren't supposed to be hearing which was his bullshit explanation okay right. so then the windfall happened at the end of august rachel dunhollander came forward okay at the end of September, Nasser is fired from MSU. In November, he's charged by the Michigan Attorney General. He was arrested, but this is fucked. It was for sexually abusing the daughter of a family friend. She wasn't a patient at all, so he couldn't use his medically necessary treatment defense. Mm. He made the million dollar bail, which was bonkers. This guy was just like out on fucking bail. The town was divided. The town, the fucking country. There was a huge number of supporters that he still had. Twistars, like the huge fucking gym with the crazy coaches and everything, were fully on the wrong side of history here. Were mm-hmm. openly defending him. Oh, and then 37,000 images of child pornography on a hard drive belonging to him was discovered. So that shut his defenders up pretty quickly. Oh my. My God. Was he married? Did he have any kids or anything? Yes, he was married. His wife's name Stephanie and um, they had kids. Does she leave him? I don't know. This is all very recent. So, oh my God. Oh my fucking God. So his bond was revoked. In July of 2017, he pled guilty to possession of child pornography. He was still facing 25 sexual assault charges in Michigan. Steve Penny lost his job, but he got a million dollar payout. Okay. Then this is the part. This is the part. 
It's where, more fucked up? Oh, no. This is just, like, the fucked up stars align. Okay? Harvey Weinstein happened. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, full-on Me Too. Okay? Yeah. So all these women are getting this, like, surge of empowerment yeah. from, like, I remember the first day I heard about the Me Too yeah. movement. I know. And being like, oh, yeah, Me Too. You know, like, oh, we're all just saying it. We're all saying it. I feel like it was, like, where I was like, I mean, yeah, Me Too, but, like, do it. Does that count? Does this count? Is this, mm. You know what I mean? Then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, actually, yeah, like a lot. Like, yeah. oh, my God, a lot. Right. So like down to when you're a kid, you're like, oh, my God, that is a me too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then with all of this like empowerment that's happening, all of these women start coming forward. Big names. Olympic gold medalist Michaela Maroney came forward. Allie Raceman came forward. Simone Biles, four-time gold medalist, came forward. About this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. They were all abused by him. They were being abused as they're winning gold medals for the fucking country. As they're winning gold medals for the U.S. because this fucking matters, they're being assaulted by Larry Nasser. So he pled guilty to the charges, and part of that deal was that prosecutors would agree not to press charges for the additional 125 cases against him. Okay. The judge, Rosemarie Aquilina. Rosemarie Aquilina. That's a great fucking name. Amazing. She was like, yeah, I'll let him take the plea, but this pig slot person is going to hear from every survivor who wants to make an impact statement. Mm-hmm. On January 16th of 2018, the first victim that spoke was the child of the family friend. Her story is, oh my God, like, again, watch this documentary. Like, she was brave enough to be like, I'm going to have my face. People will know me publicly. I'm going to speak publicly because I want to make my impact statement. She was six when it started. She finally was able to tell her parents when she was 12 and they didn't believe her. She said every time she would get in a fight with her dad, her dad would be like, you need to apologize to Larry. It was when they started believing her. I don't remember what the exact like shift was where they started believing her, but her father finally started believing her. And so she was like, you know, we were just starting to repair our relationship when he committed suicide. Her father did? Her dad killed himself, yeah. She's one of hundreds. Her story alone shows the intense ripple effect that this guy was having. That abuse happened, yeah. Yeah. Did he say anything back to them? Well, let me tell you. So I'll just watch the documentary. You don't have to tell me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you because I'm doing it as a chase. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> right. we're, not, we're, we're not on FaceTime right now. I got so like, I got so like, oh, my God. I was about to like pull out something, some popcorn, but I won't do that. Listeners uh, <laughs> felt like we were on the phone. So after four days of these impact statements, Nasser wrote a letter about wanting to not have to face any more of the victims. The judge, I always want, I want to call her Judge Aquafina. <laughs> judge Aquilina got super Judge Judy and she was just like was looking at this letter. She's like, I got a letter from the defendant Ugh, rolling her eyes. In this letter, he was blaming the judge for wanting attention and for wanting to create a media circus. That's why she was allowing for all of these impact statements. She went ahead and had the letter sealed because he names victims in the letter victim blaming. And she's like, I wasn't even about to read it and expose it, even black out the names because every survivor would fill that blank with their own name. Mm-hmm. Reading that letter wouldn't have helped anyone. Yeah. But she did let everybody know like, hey, this motherfucker thinks he's going to write a letter and not have to hear from the rest of you. But mm-hmm. too bad because it was just like too hard for him. It was hard on him. Oh, poor guy. In the beginning, only six girls were going to openly and publicly come forward and like have their names be known. But the judge said, 
quote, one girl empowered the next, empowered the next. So this went on for seven days, and it ended with Rachel Dunhollander asking for these institutions to pay attention because this could have ended years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a series of incredible failures. Mm-hmm. When Rachel Dunhollander was done, Judge Aquilina replied, quote, you built an army of survivors and you are a five-star general. You made all of this happen. You made all of these voices matter. Mm. Larry Nasser made a short impact statement. He was like deeply apologizing. He would like read into the mic and then he would spin around to like address the girls. And finally the judge was like, knock it off. Mm-hmm. You can speak into the mic. You fucking weirdo. Like stop making eye contact with everybody. The judge read a part of the letter that he had written out loud to the court. And it stated that the media had turned the girls against him and hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Oh my God. He wasn't sorry. And the judge saw him as a true predator. He was beyond rehabilitation and gave him 40 to 175 years. And she looked at him when she was done and said, I just signed your death warrant. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of sentencing, 88 survivors were scheduled to speak. And by the end of the week, it had grown to 100 156. Damn. So following this, Luann Simon resigned as president of MSU. She was charged in 2018 with lying to the police. She pled not guilty. Coach Kathy Clagus was charged with two counts of lying to the police. In 2018, mandatory reporting went into effect. A week after sentencing, the entire board of USA Gymnastics resigned. A month later, Scott Blackman stepped down as the chief executive of the USOC. John Geddert of Twistars was suspended under investigation. It was like one after another. All of these people, like this whole institution of people that didn't protect these kids mm-hmm. are all like fucking off. So nice. a $500 million settlement was made at MSU for survivors of Nasser. In the end, over 300 women have come forward. Damn. Yeah. Jesus, that's like, is that like the most they've ever found of a victims from this guy? I don't know. And these are just women that have come forward. There are plenty of people that no matter what are, are, are not going to speak on it and they can do whatever they need to to like survive but that's just the number that have come forward i mean this guy had every single day unlimited access to these kids he's tried to appeal since then and say the judge wasn't impartial i mean her being like i just signed your death warrant like she was she wanted him to burn in hell there are legal professionals that are like yeah a couple of things she said were probably not like super appropriate for an impartial judge but nothing she did was it was all within and the realm of legality. If it was a if it was a dude judge, that wouldn't even be an issue because he's probably like, ah, she's a woman. And um, she... I'm sorry, but Chanel Miller had to abridge her impact statement. What do you mean? She was told by the male judge, sorry, dude, judge, whatever, yeah. to abridge her impact statement so it would like be done in a timely fashion. And Judge Aquilina was like, take your time, girls. Right. If you need to take a minute, take a minute. This is really brave that you're doing this. Yeah. You know, I don't care if her motive was to get on fucking Nancy Grace or some shit. Like, it was able to empower and benefit. Like, this this judge since then has done all of this victim outreach and shit for young women. But anyway, Larry Nasser has also been moved to a more pedophile-friendly prison in Florida after getting attacked within an hour of being released into Gen Pop in the Arizona prison he was originally serving time yeah. at. So now he's at, I don't remember what prison it is, but it's in Florida, and they house prisoners who are more likely to get assaulted. Yeah. So that's where he's at now good i mean there's probably a hierarchy there too 
Oh, I'm sure. Okay. Well, this is terrible to hear. Yeah. Follow us on all social media at SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod. Rate and review us. It seriously helps. Because you guys have been doing so awesome with doing that, we're now getting, like, suggested. Oh, yeah. On streaming platforms. So if your friend's like, yeah, it was all right, tell that motherfucker to give us five stars. (laughs) It helps. It does. Next week, we are doing episode 10. Consent, I believe it's called. An investigation into an alleged date rape involving GHB on a college campus is discouraged by members of the administration and students at school. What's discouraged? The investigation is discouraged. So I'm sure they're going to be like, we're going to handle it internally. Oh, God. And Benson's like, the fuck you fucking are. heel to the door kick. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. And Stabler's like, hey, look at my butt. And I'm like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, email us at svupod at gmail.com. Merch for Perch. Merch for Perch. Go to our website. I got a munch hunch. You might like some of our merch for Perch. Yes. Uh, that was fine. That was fine. Yeah. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 No. <laughs> I'm loving you. <laughs> oh, that was cute. All right. Love you. Bye. Munch hunch. We got a munch hunch. Munching on, munching on, munch. Hunch. Hunch, munch. Like a crunchy, salty snack. Could you pass me some of those munching hunchins? Who wants a bag of hunch and munch? <laughs> he had the creepiest ass. He had the, he had the creepiest ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like I, my, my brain is just like a boop, boop. <laughs>